When it's cold outside, thanks to Pella Windows and Doors of Wisconsin, you'll be warm and toasty inside. Right now, put no money down, no payments, and no interest for up to two years at Pella Windows and Doors of Wisconsin. Visit PellaWI.com today. Live from the Annex Wealth Management Studios at the Avenue, it's the Jeff Wagner Show. Come join the conversation on the WTMJ Talk and Text Line at 855-616-1620. Now, here's WTMJ's Jeff Wagner. Good afternoon, Wisconsin. Welcome to the show. Nice to be back after a week off. It was kind of um, at least weather shock. We were we were at our place in southwest Florida, and when we left at 1.30 on Saturday afternoon, it was like 85 degrees and, and sunny and landed here in Milwaukee, and it was about 15 degrees and <laughs> and gloomy. And But it, it's always good to be back, and I appreciate Ryan Recker filling in for the last week. Uh, if you go down to Southwest, this is the first time I've been there since Hurricane Ian. And, and as I said before, our, our place, we're about a mile off the Gulf. And we're in Lee County, which is right where the, the hurricane hit. We were very fortunate. I mean, there's damage to the landscaping and things like that. But with the exception of some salt water in the garage, but not in the unit, um, we, we came out very, very well. So I feel very blessed about that. It, it was kind of a shock, though. If you are used to vacationing in Naples and Bonita Springs and Estero and Fort Myers, and you you've, you know, can picture that drive up along the Gulf of Mexico, I, I'm just here to tell you, it, it it's, it's just not there anymore. It's it's just amazing that, to see the devastation that's that goes about like a quarter mile in. You know, at one point in time, we we tried to drive up the the beach road, and um, there's just there's nothing there. You you have some of these older places that were like first floor; they're just flat gone. Um, and a lot of the high rises that are there, where they're, they're still there, but they're still not really livable because they had flooding on the first or second floor. It, it's just, it's just absolutely incredible. So if you, if you're used to going down there and spending a week or two weeks or whatever during the winter to kind of get away from the cold, you, you might want to call ahead because it's, will that area come back? No question about it, but. It, it's going to be a while, and a lot of those restaurants and places, shops that you probably enjoyed, at least especially if they're along the beach, they're just flat not there anymore. And so you got to feel really bad for all those people. All right. We, we rolled this out last week. I, I want to make sure everybody has an opportunity to participate in this because it is one of my very, very, very favorite events <clears throat> of the year. And I, I want to say this is probably like the seventh or eighth year that we, we've done this. The WTMJ Holiday Radio Show is back. Join your favorite WTMJ hosts. Hopefully I'm in that mix and personalities as well as some special guests. This year it's in the Grand Ballroom at the Fister Hotel. The show is next Monday, November 28th. Join us for a WTMJ Christmas tale. Tickets are on sale now. Head to WTMJ.com to purchase. They go fast. Ticket sales benefit Capco's Kids to Kids Christmas Toy Drive. It is the WTMJ Holiday Radio Show presented by Capco Metal Stamping, Drake and Associates, Dave Drake Camp Heating, and Gruber Law Offices. So all you do is you go to our website, WTMJ.com, and you'll see the way the tickets are, 30 bucks a piece. And a portion of that goes to Capco's Kids to Kids Christmas. The rest of it pretty much goes to cover our expenses. So it's in the Grand Ballroom at the Fister Hotel. So we've done it a couple different places, but I think this is going to be spectacular. And and here's the other deal. I know sometimes people are reluctant to come downtown because where am I going to park? What's this deal? Tickets include valet parking. 
So you do not have to worry about where am I going to put the car, how far am I going to have to walk. Uh Uh-uh. You buy the ticket that includes valet parking. How very cool is that? The show is next Monday. I didn't get a chance to talk to the people that keep track of the numbers as to how many tickets we still have available. But typically we do sell out. Um, Again, this is a little bit of a bigger venue. So I, I want to make sure you have an opportunity to participate in this. People who come year after year after year, I, I think, know that it's just a lot of fun. And um, I always try to make a point of coming out before and after the show and saying hi to as many of you as I possibly can. So um, the show is next Monday. We, we're actually doing the run-through. I have not seen the script. We're doing the run-through tonight at 6 o'clock. But um, show up. It's a lot of fun. It uh, proceeds um, at least a portion of the proceeds go to benefit a very good cause. And I think people who've been there before just always love it. So our Kids to Kids Christmas Tale, it's next Monday at the Fister Ballroom. Tickets are on sale now, 30 bucks, including valet parking. Go to WTMJ.com, and we will see you there. All right, we've got serious stuff to talk about. We have lighter stuff to talk about. And then we just have some interesting observations. Let's start with what I, I think it. It's something that I don't know that I would do. Now, I I appreciate it. I do not have children, all right? I, I have stepchildren and you know, grandchildren through them, but I don't have children myself. I also appreciate that when we're talking about the holidays, especially with so many what I will describe as mixed or blended families, you, you have issues. So you've got mom and dad, and mom and dad are divorced, and dad lives in Fort Worth, Texas, and mom lives in Milwaukee, Wisconsin, and you know, you've know you got a shared custody arrangement with the kids, and, and how do you get the kids back and forth? Or you know, it's the deal where, again, maybe the grandparents are in Fort Myers, Florida, and, and you're here, and you, know, you want to get the kids down there. It, it, it's, it's how do you get children around these holidays and at what age is too young now this is what got me thinking about this we flew back saturday afternoon southwest and this is really i mean typically wednesday is the is the busy wednesday before thanksgiving is the biggest travel day but if you look and you talk to the travel experts what they're saying is they're saying this is becoming a really big travel week because what a lot of people will do, a lot of people automatically have off on Friday. I don't. I'll be working on Friday. But so what they do is they just say, okay, this is an opportunity to go go home or go somewhere to visit. So what we'll do is we'll take Monday, Tuesday, and Wednesday off. So you have a lot of travel. Our plane from Fort Myers to Milwaukee, completely full. No no empty seats at all. But one of the things that, that I, I noticed on this is we're, we're at the gate waiting to board, and I, I see there's a, a, a woman and a man. And they're with a child, and I would guess, I'm bad with ages, but I, I would guess the, the kid, let's say 10 years old, now, and it, it, it could be 8 or 9, it could be 11 or 12, but let, let's say 10 for the sake of argument. And I, I thought, you know, they were all lined up, I thought they were getting on the plane with the kid, but they're not. They put the child on the plane. And then they, they wave and say, okay, call us when you get there. Now, I, I don't know exactly what was going on. I assume, um, I guess the, the most logical thing would be this is, again, it's a divorce situation, and the, the child is going back to Milwaukee to be with, you know, one of their other biological parents. So I'll know for sure, but that's my guess. But the child is traveling unattended. Now, Southwest Airlines has this policy. Matter of fact, I looked at it. Kids ages 5 to 11 can fly as unaccompanied minors on any direct Southwest flights. 
This includes both non-stop itineraries and those that do make a stop but don't require a change of planes. So, for example, our flight was Fort Myers to Milwaukee, continuing on to Las Vegas. So you you could have, if you wanted to get your child unaccompanied, your 10-year-old, you wanted to send him to Las Vegas from Fort Myers, you could have put him on this flight. So it goes to Milwaukee, but then the plane continues. So the kid doesn't have to get off the plane. There is a charge for it. Now, other airlines have these policies as well. American Airlines, kids as young as five can fly unaccompanied on American. Uh, Delta Kids as young as five can fly unaccompanied on some Delta flights. And then, of course, when you fly unaccompanied, you, you have to check in so that they have a stewardess or a flight attendant or whatever that monitors you. United Airlines, kids as young as fly, five can fly unaccompanied, and there is a, there's a fee to use the service. So, I mean, the flight attendants are looking after the kids, theoretically. But I'm sitting there thinking, hmm, admittedly, I don't have children, but... If I had a child, would I put an unaccompanied seven or eight or nine year old on an airplane to fly by themselves? Now, again, it, it's direct flights, but all sorts of stuff can happen. And can I see a show of hands? I mean, everybody that's ever been on one of those flights where, hey, we've hit bad weather and we're not going to be able to land in. You know, Detroit, so what we're going to have to do is we're going to go to Grand Rapids and we're going to land and you might have to stay overnight there. Our number is 855-616-1620. That's the WTMJ talk and text line. Now, I understand this is one of these issues where, on the one hand, you know, you, you've, we, we live in an age where, what, what, 50% of marriages end in divorce or whatever the number might be, and you have people that are living their lives, you've got kids and you've got shared custody and all these sort of things. But my question to you is, all right, would you put a 10-year-old, let's just say 10-year-old, on an airline unaccompanied to go visit grandparents or dad or mom or whatever? Our number, 855-616-1620. That's the WTMJ talk and text line. Does it depend? Would, would you put an 8-year-old? What the, the airlines will take them up to uh, as long as they're over 5. Would you put a 5- or 6-year-old on a flight even if, you know, they've got that thing, and even if there's going to be a, a flight attendant that's going to be watching over them, would you put a child that young on an airplane to fly halfway across the country or all the way across the country unattended? 855-616-1620. We discuss in a moment. 855-616-1620, which is the WTMJ talk and text line. Jeff, we actually had that happen with my stepdaughter. This was probably 30 years ago. She was flying from Dallas to Tampa, and they had to stop because of weather. And the stewardess took her home with her, put her back on the plane the next day. A little nerve-wracking, but it all worked out. But again, that was 25 or 30 years ago. Not sure I would trust somebody to do that today. Jeff, no way. Maybe 12 or 13, but never five. There's too much that can happen, and the flight attendants are too busy on a full flight. Welcome back. Happy Thanksgiving. Well, it's nice to be back. Jeff, I would say no, but my wife would say no big deal since she flew multiple times per year to Europe and Asia as an unaccompanied minor in the 80s. Jeff, this is just complete insanity. No way would I do that with one of my children. Your anxiety level has got to be through the roof afterwards. Jeff, I had a friend move to South Carolina when I was 12. My parents flew me down to visit him. I was unaccompanied. Um, yeah. Um, okay. 
Uh, Jeff, no chance. I used to fly passengers, saw the way the process was supposed to work. One thing I couldn't get past was the chance that I'd have to divert to a city or town 100 to 200 miles away and then get stuck due to weather or traffic delays after the weather ending my duty day. Anyone who says they're comfortable with remote adjustments to the plan is kidding themselves. Okay, 855-616-1620. Let's start with Rick in Kenosha. Rick, you're on WTMJ. Good afternoon. Good afternoon, guests. Okay. Uh, would you do this? Uh, uh, no, absolutely not. Never. Uh, experience from uh, San Diego to O'Hare. Uh, about 12 years ago, wife and I took off. Uh, great. So we got up about 36, 37,000 feet, real nice and smooth. All of a sudden, the airplane was out of control and dropped 7,000 feet. And it was absolutely out of control. Wife and I were crying, holding hands. Yeah. I figured this was it. <laughs> now, visualize a five-year-old kid, an eight-year-old kid, a 10-year-old kid, 12-year-old. Absolutely it, it, terrifying. Absolutely, it was terrifying. We're adults. So that that's... No, I no, thanks, I mean, I understand. When we were, um, thanks for call, when we were, just, just our flight back from Fort Myers to Milwaukee on Saturday was... It, it about half of it was really bumpy. Not, nothing like you're talking about about the seven thousand foot drop, but but enough that you know they're saying, "Oh, your flight attendants just suspend service and things like that." And it, I, I mean, especially if it's like the first flight, I'm trying to picture a ten year old. I mean, it, it's it's uncomfortable for anybody. Um, it, I can imagine a ten year old being on there. Um, seven eight five five six one six one six twenty. Let's talk to Mike in Illinois. Mike, you're on WTMJ. Good afternoon, Jeff. How are you? I'm well, thank you. What do you think? Uh, five, I cannot believe that the airlines would set themselves up for that kind of liability. Um, you know, the flight attendants do not, they're not constantly checking. You know, I mean, I just flew this weekend. They're not walking up the aisle, you know, constantly. I don't know if they put them in a special seat, but uh, the first time I flew by myself, I was 10 years old. Uh, so I guess 10 for me would be the, you know, the floor for sure. Yeah. Um, I would be much more comfortable my daughter is 22 now, but um, I wouldn't be comfortable with her flying until she was at least 13 by herself. Yeah, that, I mean, right, right. Thanks for calling. And the way it, the way I understand it is, the airlines vary, but over 12, you know, once you get to that age, and some then then you can just you can just fly. Now, some airlines say that you know if it's 14 and under, you, you have to be you know you have to go through this sort of process. But I, I just I was 10 seems awful young to me. I mean, I guess the Part of the question is, okay, would, would you leave a 10-year-old, let, let's say, let us say that, that you're going out for the evening. Would you leave at your home? Would you leave a 10-year-old at home unaccompanied for, without a babysitter for, for the evening? Would you leave an 8-year-old home all alone for the evening? And if the answer is, well, no, you think I wouldn't leave an 8-year-old home while I go out to dinner or go to a party or something. I understand it's a little bit different, but would you put them on an airplane? And I guess, again, my, my biggest issue it, it's not the direct to the direct i mean it's not okay you know you're you know bill you're going to meet the plane and i'm going to i'm going to put our kid on the plane in tampa and you're going to meet him in milwaukee the, the question is what what happens if if there is that that thing that goes wrong that the plane has mechanical problems or the plane can't land in milwaukee because there's weather and next thing you know you're in south bend indiana and then you know it's nine o'clock at night and you got to wait till the next day that's i think what would concern me amy in brookfield amy you're on wtmj good afternoon hi, hi so amy. many years ago 
I was a travel agent, and I'm talking many, many years ago before I had children. And I remember I had two children, clients, who were like five and seven who used to fly to Europe by themselves twice a year. And I was flabbergasted. I don't know how they could do it. I wouldn't have felt comfortable. That said, about 11 years ago, my then probably 10-year-old, maybe 9-year-old, wanted to do a camp in Albany, New York. So we went to Chicago. I flew to Albany with her, got her settled, and flew back. But she did fly back by herself. There was an airline a flight attendant with her. And I did make sure that there were several flights after her flight. God right. forbid, should hers be canceled or something. Right. And it worked out. Now, since COVID and with all the flight issues there are, I couldn't do it. Yeah. But 10 years ago, I could. How about if a kid was eight? Your child was eight. Would you do the same? I don't think I, I, it was hard for me to do yeah. even as a 10-year-old, but she really wanted to do this yeah. week-long dance camp. And I, there was no way I was going to spend a week in Albany and right. fly back out again to pick her up. Right. Was, you know, and, and she, I mean, she did it. She did fine. But but it was a different time. I think since COVID, it's gotten worse. I couldn't have let her go to Europe like that, like these two little kids that I used to do books did. Yeah. I could never have done that. But um, yeah. and again, knowing that there were several flights later on, should right. hers get canceled? Right. No, I think in, thank, I was able. No, no thank you. Know the the interesting thing, and and of course, it is a little bit of a different world nowadays because air travel. There's not as many flights, and, and like I say, our our flight was was full. And I, I don't know if there was one after this. And I mean, you, you sit there now. Now, of course, if if the flight gets canceled, it's not as big a deal because, you know, that the, well, in, in your case, it, it would have been because how does she get back from Albany? I guess the scenario I'm envisioning, the most common scenario, is you, you've got let, let's it's children of divorce, and so you got mom who's living in Fort Worth and dad who's living in Milwaukee, and you're you're switching the kids back for the holidays. So you know, you, you go to Fort Worth. And you're there with the kids, and it turns out the flight to Milwaukee is canceled. Well, no problem. You you go home and you try to rebook them on a flight that you can find. Um, I, my concern, especially with the younger kids, is you know what happens if something happens en route with the weather or mechanical problems, whatever. And they, look, the airlines do this, so, and, and you don't hear stories about lost children and stuff like that. So obviously, they, they assume that they know what they're doing. I was just saying, I saw this on Saturday, and I was thinking, I if that was my ten year old, I. I don't, I don't know. I mean, the other alternative is, and I guess it, it's a huge expense. The alternative is you fly the kid up to Milwaukee from Fort Worth, in my example, and then you fly back, um, and then you expect the other custodial parent to fly down and drop the kid off. And I understand that that's a huge expense and things like that, but I, I just, I don't think, I don't think I would put a 10 year old on a plane unaccompanied, and I sure as heck wouldn't put a seven year old on a plane unaccompanied. Back with more in just a minute. This is Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. So, very glad to have you with us. Okay, so um, Friday night, we're down at our place in Florida and went out. There's a restaurant not that far from us that actually has a fish fry. It's it's tough to find, like, what I would call traditional fish fries, but there's a place by us that has, you know, it's it's beer-battered cod and french fries and coleslaw, so I I make a point of trying to go there on Friday nights. And then afterwards, you know, we we come back and we're getting ready to leave the next day and packing up and things like that. And uh, the Bucks. We're on the Bucks playing Philadelphia 76ers from Philadelphia Friday night game. And that was on ESPN. So I, I was watching it. So I was watching a, a portion of it. The Bucks ended up losing, what, by like eight points. And 
I am a huge fan of Giannis. I think we're so lucky to have him here. And I think he's really just just a class guy. I don't know him personally, but I know people who know him pretty well and know his family pretty well. And he seems like a really good guy. All right, this year, um, he he's he's struggling again from the free throw line. And if you watch the game on Friday night, you could just tell it was just he, there, there's something off. I, I I saw this, you know, with Shaquille O'Neal when he was playing. I, I never. I, I never understand how professional basketball players with all the talent, how they, they can't shoot at least seven or eight out of 10 from a free throw line. I, I don't, cause it's, it's the one thing that you can practice. You get into this rhythm. There's nobody guarding you. I just, I, it's always been amazing to me that the people who do the, the step back jumper shoot those, but then they, they miss free throws. So Giannis, that has always been a weakness in his game to the point that it, it hurts the Bucks at some point in time if, you know, at, towards the end of the game in close games where he's going to get fouled and they put him on the free flow, flow line and he can't convert, yet he's too good to, to sit on the bench. And, and Friday night was an example of him really, really struggling. He sh- had 15 total free throws. He made four. Four out of 15. Okay, there's that. that's just, let's face it, that's just awful. <laughs> it's just awful. For the year, for the season, he's shooting under 60%, which means he misses a little more than four out of every 10. And it's something that if the Bucks are going to do well, if they're going to win the NBA championship, he's, he's got to do better than that. He just, that's just the reality because otherwise, you know, they're going to keep fouling him. If he keeps missing, the Bucks are going to lose it. So, but Giannis gets that. I mean, he's not somebody that sticks his head in the sand and says, I, I, I don't have anything to work on. So what happens on Friday? Is that after, after the game is over, Philadelphia wins 110 to 102. Giannis is back in the locker room and he's frustrated. He's like, okay, just, I, I didn't do my job. I, I had this problem. And it is not uncommon for NBA players after the game is over to come back from the locker room and go on the court and, and work on stuff. And, and that, that's not an uncommon thing. And so what Giannis decides to do is he decides, okay, I'm, I just, I shot four of 15. I want to go back. I don't want to let this linger. I want to go back and I want to work on my free throws. So he goes back onto the court and apparently there's like nobody on the court at the time. And he goes there and he takes a ball and he starts shooting free throws. And this is the way it's described. He makes, his goal is he wants to make 10 free throws and then just, just finish up. He made seven straight free throws before this Philadelphia 76er, like second team, third team guy named Montrezel Harrell comes over. All right. So Giannis is out there shooting free throws. Harrell comes over and walks under the basket. And as Giannis makes the free throw, he takes the ball. All right. He then walks away with the ball. He just takes it. And Giannis says, hey, um, <laughs> give, give me back, give me back the ball. <laughs> I'm, I'm doing my workout. You know, I'm, I'm trying to finish this. And the guy, this the player, and apparently one of the Philadelphia coaches says, "No, this is their court. You got to leave." He's like, "Well, I have three more free throws to make. I want to make ten in a row." They say, "No, you you can't, you can't have it." And they won't give. It's it's like this playground stuff. They won't give him the ball back. And they get kind of into this argument. This this Harrell guy says, well, um, make sure you get the complete story. I asked the man, can he get off the court so I can work out? Um, he ignored me. This is what you get. This is respect. 
Okay, so they won't give the guy the ball. And again, this is like this kind of punk stuff, I would say, that you see at the schoolyard. So Giannis goes back into the locker room. He, he tells, he, he tells the, the story of this, and he comes back. He brings two more basketballs. At this point in time, he, he comes back out, and, and one of the Philadelphia like maintenance guys, now they're starting to break down the court, but they're, they're not under the basket now. They've got a ladder under the basket. Now, they're not taking it down right now. They're still doing other stuff. And Giannis says, I just want to finish shooting a couple free throws. This Harrell guy, he's at the other end, you know, shooting baskets and things like that. And the Philadelphia maintenance guy says, no, I'm not going to move the ladder. And Giannis says, come on, move the ladder. I want to finish this up. And the guy says, no, I'm not going to move it. And then Giannis goes to move the ladder and he pushes it over. And that's what this, this video is. Our number is 855-616-1620. That is a WTMJ talk and text line. Now, I, I'm, I'm describing this and I'm, I'm reading about this and I'm seeing all the, the footage of this. And this, of course, has become this relatively major incident. I guess my take on it is, you know, gee, what a surprise. A couple members of the Philadelphia 76ers organizations are jerks. Who would have thought? Our number is 855-616-1620. That's a WTMJ talk and text line. Now, I understand the story comes from the world of sports. I typically leave that to my, my teammates over at ESPN. But this is one of these situations where it just seems like a lot of these guys are just complete and total jack wagons. You know, Giannis is out there. The court is up. He's trying to finish this little bit of a workout. Who is this guy to come and grab the basketball and essentially run away and say, well, I'm, you can't do this on our court? The, the guy is a professional who is trying to practice. And then when you come back and they've got this ladder that's put under the basket, move the ladder. And let him finish his workout. Three minutes later, he'll be done, and then everything goes back to normal. I, it's just, it tells me that the Philadelphia 76ers are a no-class organization, and that this this player, this Harris guy, that he's a complete and total no-class guy. Our number eight five five six one six one six twenty. That's a WTMJ talk and text line. What do you think? We discuss in a moment. Eight five five six one six. One six twenty, Jeff. I'm a high school basketball coach. Some things aren't worth it. He should have just left the, for three three throws. It's not worth it. I guess. See, that's that's not the point. Whether it's worth it or not, the point is. All right. If if you're doing something that you're entitled to do, who is this like third string guy from Philadelphia to come and grab the ball and refuse to give it to you? And by the way, the, the NBA doesn't have any rules on this one way or the other. And this is a relatively common practice that players will sometimes come back and work on the court after a game. I mean, after all, they're, they're all professionals and um, things like that. Um, let's see, Jeff. Montrez Harrell was shooting at the other end with two balls, didn't even need the ball from Giannis. No, he didn't. Now that, and, and, and see what happened is, and, and it's very, very clear, he grabs the ball to stop Giannis from being able to shoot free throws and then tells him to get the blank out of here. You know, how dare you come back and, and use the court? I mean, that's what I, I think qualifies, you know, as, as being a bully and, and a jerk. Um, Jeff, Harrell has always been an attention-seeking trash talker. His mouth is bigger than his talent. Um, that, that's, I guess I just look at this and, 
I, and I understand that the video that's out there, John, is pushing over the, the ladder. Well, okay, he, I mean, his story is he didn't try to push it over. He was trying to move the ladder to finish his workout. But I understand the frustration that you have. You're this pro. You're entitled to be there. And now you've got the Philadelphia 76ers organization is represented by one of their assistant coaches and this jerk second-team player who's decided, well, we're not going to let you do this. I mean, this is playground stuff, isn't it? Let's start with Scott in Wauwatosa. Scott, you're on WTMJ. Jeff, how are you, sir? Good. What do you think? Well, I think, you know, just listening to you reading those texts, you know, it's just uh, he's been a bully his whole career. And, you know, you can ask him how many teams he has been in the last five years. And, you know, that's that's uh, his talent level. But, uh, you know, he's been a bully for, you know, pretty much, you know, everywhere he goes and, mm-hmm. you know, you're talking about Harold. You're talking uh, about the guy who took the ball. Yeah. Away. Oh, Harold. Yeah. Yeah. And when when this first happened, you know, uh, TMJ had a story on Saturday, Ryan Jenkins, and they didn't even talk about Harrell. And it like disappointed me, and not disappointed me, it angered me that they're showing the story on the news and not even talking about the whole situation. Like Giannis is just taking the ladder and launching it. Yeah. But this guy is a, a jerk, you know. Um, and then his brother came out to Nassus. And he was yelling at him and telling him to yeah. get this piece of you yep. know what yep. back to Milwaukee. And he's just a jerk, and you know he's just jealous that Giannis dominates him all the time. And we should have won that game, basically. But you know that's a no. But right, I guess or there. But no, I mean, I, I mean, thanks. I mean, I, I guess, I guess, I just look at this and I try to I, you. you Look, the, the NBA doesn't, it, it's one thing if the NBA has rules to say you can't go out on the court after the game to work out, but that's not what they do. And, and this is not that uncommon sort of, uh, common sort of thing. I think it is to Giannis's credit that he recognizes, oh, I just had this really bad game and, and maybe, just maybe, you know, me missing what 11 out of 15 free throws now in a team game you lose by eight points. Hey, maybe that was the difference. So he's frustrated. He wants to work on his game. It's not like, it's not like he was doing anything improper. And then you have this punk who decides to come and grab the basketball from, you know, one of the best players in the NBA who's suddenly trying, who's just trying to work on his game. Would you do something like that to Michael Jordan? Eh, no. Would you do something like that to Kobe Bryant? What is you think, what do you think you gain by doing that? And I understand you're exactly right. You see the last 10 seconds of this confrontation and it, it's, it's Giannis pushing over the ladder. Well, if you don't know what happened in the 10 or 15 minutes before that and you don't have any sort of context, um, number of people are saying, Jeff, I guess Philadelphia isn't the city of brotherly love anymore. That's just sad behavior by professional athletes on the part of the 76ers. I agree. number of people are commenting on city of brotherly love. Jeff, why am I not surprised that this happened in Philadelphia? Maybe it's time we change the name from city of brotherly love, just something a little bit more fitting. Jeff, I should, I'd say Yana should say sorry and pay for a new ladder and the floor for the arena. Ladder probably ruined the floor. No, it didn't ruin the floor and nothing happened to the ladder. He just got upset because it didn't go his way. No, he, he didn't get upset because it didn't go his way. He was upset because he's trying to do something routine that players do afterwards, which is work on a part of the game, and you have this jerk wagon from the Philadelphia 76ers who decides he's going to go playground bully on them. Jeff, the rest of the Sixers are going to be really upset with Harrell after uh, Giannis scores 60 on them the next time they play. Um, Jeff, it is playground stuff, but Giannis you know, gave him the exact response that he was 
looking for. Um, Jeff, I'm afraid Philadelphia is full of jack wagons. Perhaps you remember an on-camera interview with a young boy after the Packers game in Philadelphia. During the interview, a passerby knocks the Packers hat off the head of the young man. Philadelphia might be a great city, but some of their fans and players are um, one tattoo short of being a British soccer hooligan. Huh, there's a World Cup, Cup reference there. Uh, Jeff in Fox Point. Jeff, you're on WTMJ. Good afternoon. Hi, Jeff. Uh, prior to this incident, I actually considered going to Philadelphia for a Bucks game and to uh, see some historical landmarks. But after this incident, I, I'm pretty turned off. I thought the player was acting like an eighth grader with a chip on his shoulder, and his t- Twitter posting was also deceptive. And I'm also turned off with and very one-sided, and that also turns me off. So uh, now I'm not even considering it. And if I do go see the Bucks play somewhere on the road, it's going to be a to a city where I would actually like spending my money in. Yeah, find a thanks for go find find a find a warm weather place. You know, go go watch them play in Orlando. Go watch them play in Miami. You know, find find a warm weather place. Go down there in January and you know enjoy. It. I guess I'm just look. I I, I don't. I mean, I'm not a sports guy and stuff. I, I do think Giannis is a, a pretty nice guy. I think he's a class guy. Jeff, I, and, and to our last caller, Jeff from Fox Point, here's one of my texts. Jeff, I have been to Philadelphia for an Eagles-Packers game. Trust me, it is not a pleasant experience. Well, so I guess it starts at the top. It's the 76ers organization. It's the players they have, and it just goes from there. In any event, I, I just it struck me as an interesting sort of story, and to the extent that anybody sees it as, oh, this is damaging to Giannis's reputation, I don't think so. I think he... He was just trying to do – I, I mean, I give him credit for saying, look, I, I got to get better. I, I wanted to go right out there and shoot a couple free throws. This would not have been a big deal were it not for the punks and the thugs that apparently play basketball, at least play two minutes in the game on Friday night for the Philadelphia 76ers. All right, the more things change, the more they stay the same. For those of you keeping track – Milwaukee has just set a new record for homicides, um, 194. The all-time record was set last year at 193. We are now at 194 homicides and counting. And, of course, we're, we're not through November yet. So um, unless there, unless suddenly there's, like, truces or peace breaks out, I think it's very clear that we're going to be over 200 homicides, which is just absolutely unthinkable. On top of that... It's just a miracle. There's not more. I mean, here's the story I I come back to. Milwaukee police say someone fired shots into a home last Thursday night. Police say the gunfire happened around 1135 p.m. near 88th Street and Hampton Avenue. Now, Hampton Avenue, for those of you not familiar with this area, Hampton Avenue is one of the major East-West thoroughfares, if you want to get from, like, the North Shore, you want to get from the East Side to, to, like, Mayfair Shopping Center, Wauwatosa, you know, Waukesha, whatever, and you don't want to go on the freeway, you you take Good Hope or Silver Spring or Hampton or Capitol Drive, you know, going down there. All right, so you have this this shooting that occurs on 88th and Hampton, and it happens at 1135 at night. Here's the dazzling detail. Investigators found. 137 bullet casings at the scene. This is not, gee, we're firing a shot into a house. This is 137 bullet casings. I have said this before. I say it again. When it comes to the mean streets of Milwaukee, it's not fair to say it's the wild, wild west. 
because you didn't have stuff like this going on in the wild, wild west. Maybe it was two guys that got into a shootout at high noon, you know, on, on Main Street. This is 137 bullets. This is like the, you know, Sonny Corleone massacre in the movie The Godfather, you know, at, at a toll booth in Long Island. 137 bullets. It is a miracle, an absolute miracle that you don't have people dead in connection with this, whether it's bystanders, people on the street, people in the house, whatever. 137 bullets, and that tells you everything you need to know about what goes on on the mean streets of Milwaukee. Live from the Annex Wealth Management Studios at the Avenue, it's the Jeff Wagner Show. Now, here's WTMJ's Jeff Wagner. Good afternoon, Wisconsin. Welcome back to the show. So very glad to have you with us. Yeah, Alex was saying it's up to 40 degrees, which I was saying is a culture shock. All last week in Florida, it was like 85 degrees and humid, and then came back Saturday to, you know, wind chills in the single digits and things like that. But it's starting to moderate, and actually the temperature looks like, the weather looks like it's going to be pretty good through the this entire week and doesn't look like there's any big storms on the horizon so hopefully we'll be able to go over the river and through the woods to grandmother's house or wherever um for thanksgiving so that's very nice okay i want to i want to kind of ease into this so so bear with me for a minute when i started at at wtmj it was part of journal communications and journal communications was Radio and TV stations, Channel 4 and WTMJ Radio, and TV stations across the country and radio stations across the country. And that, that was, that was one of the branches. Then they had a, a printing operation and then they, they had the newspaper, the Milwaukee Journal Sentinel. And these were really kind of like co-equal branches. And somewhere along the way, the newspaper started to, to struggle. There's no question about it, and it's not unique to the Milwaukee Journal Sentinel, but it, it started to struggle. Well, ultimately what happened is the decision was made to break up journal communications, and the, the printing division got sold off, and the, the radio and TV stations, we got sold to, to a company called Scripps, which is a big television station, and the, the Journal Sentinel, the newspaper, got sold off to Gannett, which is one of the big nationwide publishers. Um, they, USA Today is what they publish, but they own newspapers all across the country, and they own a lot in, in Wisconsin. And then ultimately what happened is on, on our side, uh, Scripps, which is really a TV company, decided that they wanted to get out of the radio business, and so our various radio properties were, were sold, and we're now owned by Good Karma Brands, which is a wonderful local company, and I, I just... It, it, I can't tell you how much I, I enjoy working for Good Karma. It's, it's really a, a very good thing. Could not have worked out better for WTMJ. Now, the journal, Sentinel, the, the newspaper, it's, it's a different story because, again, they're part of this lar- the larger newspaper industry, Gannett, and Gannett is hemorrhaging, hemorrhaging money because th- th- nobody's figured out a way to make money on newspapers nowadays. I told this story week week before last because I as part of my job I, I have like online subscriptions to a number of different newspapers. And I, I saw one of the ones was the Chicago Tribune. And I use it for research and things like that. And I, I saw the bill and it was like twenty seven dollars a month. And it occurred to me that I don't think I've gotten one or two stories in the last six months if I've gotten one or two stories, unique stories out of the Chicago Tribune that I used on the air. I, that would be a lot. So I decided this is just silly to pay this money. So I canceled the subscription online and I immediately got this response saying, okay, I tell you, here's the deal. We'll, we want you back as a subscriber. We'll, we'll give you a deal 25 cents a week. 
for for six months. So for a total of like six dollars and fifty cents, you can continue to be a subscriber. <laughs> I you know, and I, I I didn't act on it, but we did a topic, and I'm like, how can you make money seriously if you're you know, giving away the product for $6.50 for, for six months. Some people said, well, you know, it's all about trying to get the eyeballs for advertisers. And yeah, yes and, and, and no. But I guess some money, $6 is better than, than nothing. But it, it's to me, that was indicative of where the industry is going. So if you haven't been following this, um, Gannett um, announced, well, I'm looking at the story now, about, well, what's the date of this? The date is... Um, Somewhere in uh, early October, they announced another round of buyouts at the local newspaper, the Journal Sentinel. And um, I think five or six uh, well-known reporters and stuff decided to take the buyouts. And the deal is, here, you know, we'll offer you this buyout. We'll give you X amount of dollars. We'll give you a severance package. And otherwise, if you don't take this, you take your chances as to whether, you know, you're going to have, have a job in, in the future. So they just did this about... Well, a couple of weeks ago, and that's why if you happen to still read the newspaper, whether online or in the print form, and you notice that there might be some people's names missing, it's because they're they're gone. So here's the follow-up story from yesterday. Gannett, the owner of USA Today and local news operations in 45 states, announced on Friday another round of job cuts. The company plans to cut another 6% of its estimated 3,400 staff in the news divisions and will notify affected employees on December 1st and 2nd. So this is the second time in literally a month that there's going to be, you know, more cuts that are coming as they post a $110 million net loss. The estimates are that this means that they're probably going to offer, you know, buyouts to probably, you know, another half dozen or so employees. Um, the story I'm looking at in the Business Journal says that in late October, after five more members of the local newspaper agreed to voluntary buyouts, after the buyouts, there were 81 employees left in the Journal Sentinel bargaining unit. 81 employees. It's down to 81, which is just unthinkable from a, a decade or two ago. And the estimates are that probably... Um, you know, after this next round, it's certainly going to drop below 80. The, the numbers are, are just ugly. For the first nine months of 2022, Gannett posted, and this is the overall company, posted a net loss of $110 million, um, which is similar to about $112 million net loss for the same period last year. Their loss in their third quarter was $54.1 million. $54.1 million. And so what they're doing is they're, they're engaged in, in massive cutting uh, of jobs, um, to try to turn this around. Their stock was trading at $2.09 per share on Friday afternoon. $2.09 a share. And that's, that's a lot closer to zero than it is to like $10 or $15 or whatever it is. Our number, 855-616-1620. That's a WTMJ talk and text line. Now, this commentary isn't specific to the local newspaper, um, but I, I look at, at, at these, these numbers, and the, the, here are, here's the reality. 
First of all, it costs a lot to produce a printed newspaper and deliver it to people's houses. And the reality is, I used to say nobody under 40 reads a, reads a hard copy of a newspaper. Now I think it's probably almost nobody under 60, you know, actually gets a, a newspaper delivered anymore. So what you're trying to do is you're trying to have people like me who are news junkies who want to get the information, but you subscribe online and you pay a fraction of, of the price. I mean, seriously, like I say, the Chicago Tribune is offering me their services for a, for a quarter a week. And obviously that's not enough money. There's not enough of a critical mass there to stop the, these huge losses. So my question and what I want to discuss, our number 855-616-1620, that's the WTMJ talk and text line. Will there be local newspapers in the next five years? I mean, see, I, I think there, there's always going to be there's always going to be a Washington Post and a New York Times and a Wall Street Journal and, and a USA Today that might have, you know, Wisconsin news in it. But from the perspective of you, you look at these numbers, you look at the number of people that they are letting go. And I, I just I never like to see people lose their jobs. But you're having experienced people that are just that, that see the handwriting on the wall. I just don't understand. I don't see how this business model can be sustainable. I mean, you can't lose $112 million uh, constantly. You can't be down, um, you can't lose that year after year after year, and I don't think you can cut your way out of it. So my question is, you know, are we going to have newspapers as we knew them, or we knew them, you know, five years from now? And I think it's more and more apparent that the answer is no. Are you going to have a couple big national newspapers? Yes. Are you going to have some online, you know, papers that are hyper-specialized in covering a particular area? Yes, you're going to have that. Are you going to have the weekly shoppers with the ads? Maybe, but maybe even then, you know, more people, I don't know about you, but do, do I check ads? Yeah, but I just, hey, if I'm going over to Office Depot, I just pull up the Office Depot app on my phone and see what the deals are. I don't need the, the coupons. You know, what's the future of newspapers? 855-616-1620. I just, I, I think it's very, very bleak. The breaking news from the print media is that after a 6% reduction in staff just a month ago, Gannett, which owns the journal Sentinel and a number of other papers across Wisconsin, has just announced because they're going to lose, they're on track to lose over $110 million this year, which is after a $112 million loss last year, they're implementing another 6% cut. Right now, according to the Business Journal, there's like 81 people. 81 people that work at the Journal Sentinel, at least are on their news, in the news side. That, that'll take it down. Gosh, another, I don't know, five, six or whatever. There, it really is with the last person to leave, please turn off the lights. And my question is, you know, what are the future of newspapers given this economic reality? And I just don't see how local newspapers can make it. Will there be some big national papers? The New York Times? Sure. The Wall, the Washington Post? Sure. The Wall Street Journal? Sure. USA Today? Sure. But I, explain to me how any of these local newspapers can survive when you keep cutting and cutting and cutting. And, you know, people want the information, but apparently nobody's figured out how to monetize this digital side to stop from hemorrhaging money like this. Let's start with James on the South Side. James, you're on WTMJ. How you doing, Jeff? Good, I'm glad, James. To, glad to hear you that you're back. I'm glad to be back. Thanks. Um, I, think the, I think the Milwaukee Journal uh, Sentinel should be called the uh, Chicago Journal Sentinel because it's made out of Chicago these days, and it seems like uh, you don't get all the 
sports or you don't get all the other stuff in there because it's too too late or whatever yeah. that they do with the thing and that maybe good karma should take it take it on over and uh they, <laughs> they do a good job with your radio here maybe they could do uh they could have a, a newspaper better than what the Milwaukee yeah. journal or milwaukee journal or whatever you want to call it well no, no, james don't don't know thanks no i i think we're pretty much con- i think we're pretty much committed to like like radio and and, and look and I, I don't want to turn this into a like let's attack the journal sentinel because it's a bigger problem than that it, it's an industry-wide problem but the way that they're approaching this, this is nothing unique is is they just they, they, they cut people you get rid of people and okay so you just you know a month ago you just offer buyouts to five or six extremely experienced reporters and then okay they, so they take it no i get it i understand they see the writing on the wall so then you know now it's a month later it's okay we've got to get rid of another six percent i mean pretty soon you're left with young people just out of school who you're paying absolutely or very, very little to like then who who don't who who don't know the the market who don't understand any of this stuff and and you start to see that and at some point in time people just say well what's the content now your point James also and this is a huge problem especially with the print editions of the paper you you can't find results I mean I I don't I I stopped with the the print edition of the paper a long time ago because you're exactly right you you don't have the ball scores you don't have you want to watch you want to read about the Brewers game you know on a Wednesday morning after a Tuesday night game when you get the morning paper it's not going to be in there it's just flat out not going to be in there you have to go to the online edition which is all well and good but they don't know how to make money on the online edition because you, you've got to, in order to get people to do it, and I don't have any problems, you know, going online, and I, I that that's the way I, I get my information now, but a lot of people aren't like that. Tony in Milwaukee. Tony in Milwaukee. You're on WTMJ. Good afternoon. Good afternoon, Jeff. Jeff, the dead tree, as you and Charlie used to call it, will be gone pretty soon. I'm a, I'm a dinosaur. I used to love the paper, and I stopped about a year ago. But then about three weeks ago or four weeks ago when the Packers played a Sunday afternoon game at 3 o'clock, I bought a paper the next day. I wanted to read about it. It There's nothing about the game in there. And the contest is is terrible in the paper. The front page, after the second page, had a five-page article on someone's mental health problem, and then that's all there was. And in the day, you know, you used to get a business section. You could yeah. read about stock quotes and everything. That's one of the first things that got cut. Then they took out the Dilbert cartoon. <laughs> and then the paper gets smaller, 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 nothing in it. And then they want to charge more. Well, Tony, and I, I mean, thanks. A year ago. You know, no, no, thanks for calling. No, I, I mean, I'll give you an example. I mean, okay, when I, when I started... Back in the day, when I started, I worked for the U.S. Attorney's Office, right? Now, this is in the 1980s at the federal building. Then this was back when there was both a journal and a sentinel. They had two reporters that were assigned to the federal court beat, and and they competed with each other to try to get stories. And, and you'd have they'd actually like sit in courtrooms and and watch watch trials. And I'm not just talking about the James Brooks trial, the Daryl Brooks trial. That is, I'm talking about you know trials. And and they'd compete and they'd bring stories. And you had all this local coverage that was there. And that's just pretty much non-existent because. They don't have people to do it. So you're right. It's some of this like specialty stuff and let's, let's try to do things and, and hope people care about it and let's try to win awards and stuff like that. But, um, but the, the bottom line of this is I, I just don't understand how the business model works out. You can't keep cutting and cutting 
and cutting and cutting and still do this. Jeff, let's be honest about this. Do newspapers or the mainstream media actually need experienced journalists? They no longer fact check. They no longer stay objective. That's that's the I, I think there is an element of this. Jeff, it's time to move away from newspapers. They're outdated. No one buys printed papers anymore. Jeff, I love my newspaper. Not a fan of the digital feeds. I like to have it in my hands. I get that. And, but that's, like I say, there, there, I used to say under 40. I don't think there's anybody under 60 that, that still does that. And, and what you find is once you make the move, it's, you don't, you don't necessarily, you don't necessarily miss it. Um, no question about it. 855-616-1620, which is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Jeff, I agree with you. They're going to die. The Sheboygan Press, Gannett owned, has been whittled down to literally four to five pages per issue. Most of that is ads and associated press stories. Local news is basically reprints of police reports. Dennis on the South Side. Dennis, you're on WTMJ. Good afternoon. Jeff, thanks for taking my call today. Sure. As I was telling your screener, Charlie, yeah, I deliver for the Journal Sentinel. And uh, two years ago, I had we saw what was going on with our customers, how we were losing them left and right, how the rates were being skyrocketed, and and uh, the customer no service was was just frustrating people beyond belief being on hold, you know, for mm-hmm. a half hour, sometimes as long as two hours, trying to conduct business of some sort. And, uh, and yeah, and that's some of the reasons why people are leaving left and right. And I confronted one of our managers, this was like two years ago, and he admitted to me, he says, yeah, well, we're trying to kill off the newspapers so that they all go to uh, the huh. uh, Internet. You yeah. Know? But having said, having said that, though, you know, one of the things that, that I, I see going on here is there are enough people out there who still want the paper, and if they really want to get a deal, they're they're out there to be had. I saw a mailer just recently that was eighty three cents a week for a, a Sunday Wednesday paper. Mm-hmm. Um, now it's not the same as what you said for the trip, you know. But then yeah. again, it doesn't have half the information the trip does either. <laughs> yeah. So, yeah, but. Uh, there's there's a number of things at play here, though, also that I don't think people are, are catching. You know, the paper was moved down to Peoria, and I think there are some very specific reasons for that in terms of cost savings, mm-hmm. which is going to seem like an oxymoron until you hear the whole story. The whole back room, the printing operation was union. The whole front half of the building over on 40th or 41st and, and uh, Burnham, is you know, the the carriers who are all independent contractors, with with the exception of the uh, um, people who are mm-hmm. um, right. salaried, okay, in in distribution. But I don't believe they're they're not union either, though. Okay, so so then we uh, start looking at what happens next. They moved all of us out of the building completely, and now we're in a completely different location as well. Now, what happened? Is, down in Chicago, the Chicago Trib, where they're located, is right in the middle of an area that's owned uh, by an Indian tribe. And the Native Americans there wanted to build a casino on that property. So they told the Chicago Trib to get lost. Okay. So they moved most of their operations up to our printing presses, where they are printing right now. 
Some of it went to Peoria. Okay. Right. Are you following me this so far? I'm, I'm with you, but we got to wrap this up because I'm late here. for the news. So give, give me okay, the Reader's okay. Digest version of this. <laughs> okay. So, so the next thing is we're being told that where we're at right now, we're not going to be there long. And inside of probably half a year, no more than a year, we're going to be back in our original building. Oh. That the trip is probably going to move out. That our facility is going to flip flop. Basically, it's going to the trip's going to go down to Peoria, and the rest of our stuff is going to come back up here. Okay, well, thanks. To, I'm, and, and I don't mean to cut you off. I'm just kind of a little bit late for the news, but yeah. So, so maybe that makes it a little bit more current. But the bottom line is, see, this is just not the way people get get their information. And and look, I don't necessarily like I say think newspapers are going to go away. I have. I get the Wall Street Journal, the hard copy delivered to my house every day. And the, the car- same carrier that delivers the Journal Sentinel, you know, delivers that. I get the New York Times on weekends, Friday, Saturday, and Sunday, because then I have a little bit more time on the weekend to actually sit down with the hard copy of the paper. And I enjoy it. So I'm, I'm not anti-newspapers. I'm just saying you can't lose $110 million a year. You can't cut 6% of your staff in October, then drop another 6% in November and expect that people are going to continue to I don't know, participate and read the product. Back with more in just a minute. Yeah, other than weekly shoppers and some of the big national newspapers, I just I, I just don't see how you can look into your crystal ball and see daily newspapers existing for the next couple of years, not at the rate they are losing money. And it, I, I don't I don't wish them ill. I'm just I'm just stunned though that, that the business model, which has been in decline for the last decade or so, it's just continuing to accelerate at the rate it is. Okay, so Alex, there's you know you hear these stories about the, these fights that break out at concerts and stuff like that. Yeah. You say, okay, well, yeah, I, I understand you went to see a particular musician or whatever. And, eh, okay, yeah, I could kind of understand how that could be. All right, so last night in Los Angeles at Dodger Stadium, Elton John did his giant farewell concert. Mm-hmm. Elton John, who is 76 or 77, says that he's he's done touring. This was his final North American show. I guess mm-hmm. he's going to do some in Europe. But it was this big sold-out event at Dodger Stadium, and it was kind of significant because that's really where Elton John was introduced to the United States in the, the mid-'70s was at Dodger Stadium. Cool, right? okay. So, okay, and it's actually um, – I haven't seen it, but I'm, I'm – well, I, 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 it's – they they live streamed it on Disney Plus, and I assume it's there. It sounds like a, a, a good show and stuff. Okay, so you wouldn't think though that an Elton John show would be like the site of like a brutal beating, you know? I mean, <laughs> I, I, but but it was. I mean, here, police. This is a story: police have arrested one person in connection with the brutal beating of a Los Angeles couple in their sixties by a group of people following the Elton John concert. Apparently. Um, what happened is it's, it's a couple in their 60s. They go to see, you know, Elton John mm-hmm. there. They leave about 15 minutes. And they leave before the final encore because they're trying to get out of the crazy yeah. parking lot. This is what the daughter says. Um, they're in their car exiting Dodger Stadium when all of a sudden there's like people walking all through the parking mm-hmm. lot. They hear a loud thud. Group of people walked around their car, and the her parents, the woman's parents, hear this this loud thud. The dad gets out of the car to try to figure out what happened. Mm-hmm. He's looking, and he sees his driver's side mirror is hanging off. And he looks around, and there's this group of people, and he says, who hit my mirror? And this woman, um, who was clearly intoxicated, said, I did. And then she swings at the guy, the Ooh. 60-some-year-old man. He goes to block it. Then three or four guys just start jumping on him and beating on him. 
So his wife is in the front seat of the car. She sees her husband getting the you-know-what beat out of yeah. him. She gets out of the car. She's trying to pull the guys off him. She's grabbed by the back of the neck by the female in the group. And then one of the guys, black shirt, baseball cap backwards, basically football tackles my mom and knocks her to the concrete. She, Her head hits so hard on the concrete, they heard her skull hit. Everybody's sure they cracked their head. Mom breaks out. Um She's there, and these 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 people just leave leave them bloody. Um, man who recorded this also had a run with the attackers, so they've arrested one, and they're going more. But it's an Elton John concert yeah. for God's sake, and you have these these people that beat up this couple in their sixties. Yeah, we've heard of stuff like this happening at sporting events when it's like uh, Dodgers and uh, Giants right, fans yeah. and stuff. And Elton John concert seems you, a little of, of all the different <laughs> places that you would say, "Gee, are you going to get beat up in the parking lot?" The Elton John concert would be. Probably one of the very last places that I would anticipate, but that's what happened last night. You'd think so, but I guess you never know, huh? You just never know. And I guess the, I mean, some people might hear that and say, well, the guy shouldn't have gotten out of the car, but I understand. You know, you're all of a sudden you hear this loud bang. You want to see what's going on. Yeah. You know, what's, did I hit somebody? Did somebody hit me? Whatever. And your mirror's hanging off. You gotta, right. gotta check that out. Right. Yeah. And the result is here, we're going to pummel the, this, this couple in their sixties. <sighs> Goodbye, yellow brick road. When we come back. <laughs> All right, he's back. Will he stay back? I will explain. We will discuss. Okay, so we're down in Florida last week, and we're um, had gone out to to dinner or something. Maybe my wife made dinner and. We're sitting around, and it's, of course, on Eastern time, it, it's an hour hour later. And so uh, I figured, look, I, I want to do this because I, I wanted to see it. Um, and I forget if it was last Monday or last Tuesday night, but it was the, the Donald Trump announcement that he was once again going to run for president now for, for the third time. So we, we watched it. Um, I watched it on, on Fox News and they stayed with the announcement for the first 35 minutes or so. And then they, even Fox News cut away. And that, that tells you something. I thought just I thought the announcement itself, we'll, we'll get to the substance in a minute. I thought the announcement itself and the way it was conducted was was actually kind of pathetic. Um, it, it didn't. You know, when, when Donald Trump announced that he was going to run for president in 2016, you know, he descended the, the giant escalator at Trump Tower. It, there was nothing like this. You had a ballroom of people who started to kind of look like the, the, they were they were trapped. And a matter of fact, they were trapped because people tried to leave and security would not let them leave. So whatever the audience was there was there. The, the speech, in my opinion, had had none of the bombast it had none of the the fire that you see from from trump it was just kind of essentially a, a rehash of, of past grievances there was nothing future looking at all on this and I, I think it was kind of depressing a lot of the reports said you know five or six years ago when the trump motorcade would pass you'd have hundreds sometimes maybe thousands of people who were cheering this time there were like dozens of, of people and it very it seems very clear and i always say this Politics is about timing. That, that's just the reality. Politics is about timing. And sometimes you, you have to know when it's not your time. And sometimes you have to know when your time has, has passed. And I guess I, I watch this. And regardless of 
how you whether you think Donald Trump was the the greatest thing since canned beer and the greatest president ever. You you kind of look at this, and I saw I thought it was sort of sad, and I thought just like just like I hate to say I told you so, but I when you had a Marquette Law School poll that came out in the U.S. Senate race with Mandela Barnes and Ron Johnson right after the the primaries, and Mandela Barnes was at fifty two percent. I said, look, I think this is going to be as high watermark, and I, I turned out to. Be absolutely right. You know, Johnson took a lead in the polls and ended up winning. Close race, but he ended up winning. I, I think you mean I think where Trump stands right now is is his high water mark. And you have a lot of people who supported him in the past who have become what Paul Ryan describes as the never again Trumpers. Just uh, whatever you, you can have this debate without saying Gee, you know, he was a good president or a bad president. You can have this debate by saying whatever, whatever those four years were, however you feel about it, the country has moved on and they want younger politicians. They want, uh, people who have a vision for the future as opposed to just, Hey, I'm going to get elected and I'm going to you know, settle old grievances. And you're starting to see that in a lot of the polls where in a number of the early primary states, you know, Trump, his numbers have been dropping like a, a rock. Which isn't to say that, you know, he might not have support now, but as time goes on and as the possibility of indictments becomes greater and the fact that there doesn't appear to be any vision that's there, you know, more and more people are saying, you know, this, this is, this is it. Which brings me to what I want to discuss with you. There is a very provocative piece in, in the Hill that, that caught my attention. And the headline is Trump may not make it. To the primaries. Now, the, the primary elections, now we're here in November of 2022. So you've got, oh, about 13 months, 12 or 13 months before you start to have the Iowa caucuses and the New Hampshire primaries and then, you know, the, the full slate. And the, the article and the opinion that's being expressed here is that Donald Trump is going to have trouble generating any support, more support than he has now. And in all likelihood, he, he's going to lose it. You have a lot of the big donors who lined up to support him who are saying they want nothing to do with him anymore. You have a new class of emerging candidates, whether it's Ron DeSantis or Tim Scott out of South Carolina, who I had a chance to interview a couple of weeks ago, to Nikki Haley or to whatever. You've got this new class of younger politicians who are visionary in their own right, who are emerging. And, of course, you've got the specter of all the, the criminal problems that are out there. You've got the specter of all the civil problems. And what the, this article says is, hey, don't be surprised if if Donald Trump doesn't even make it to the primaries. If, if his fundraising starts to dry up, if a lot of people um, start to say, OK, look, we want that new vision. We're, we're done. We're done with this. And again, we don't have to be judgmental on whether we like Trump or don't like him or what we think about his presidency. We're just we're looking to move on because we see the polls. He couldn't win in 2020. Why do we think he's going to be able to win in 2024 when he's substantially a weaker candidate? And so the theory is, hey, he might not even make it. His fundraising dries up. He starts to fall behind or lag in the polls. And the question is, would his ego allow him to lose in that fashion? Because whatever else you say about Donald Trump, he can read the polls. He can understand this stuff. If he starts to have trouble raising money, which is already, I think, a case, if he starts to start to lag in the polls, if the, the excitement that he was able to generate in 2016 and even 2018 and maybe even 2020 to an extent, if that's, if that's gone, 
Is there a real chance that he just doesn't even make it to the primaries by, you know, looking for whatever that graceful way out is? I, I'm not going to run because I've got to spend all my time fighting these, you know, these these this special prosecutor and these illegitimate prosecutions. That could be a theory. Maybe you've got, gee, my family's asked me not to do this. I don't want to put them through that again. You can come up with a myriad of excuses. Gee, I'm, I've, I've got these health concerns that I have. Is there a possibility? Is there a likelihood that Donald Trump doesn't even make it to the first caucus or the first primary. Our number, 855-616-1620. That's the WTMJ talk and text line. I guess my take on this is, you know, the more you think about it, if it becomes more and more apparent that he's not going to be able to win the presidency and that he might not even be able to win the nomination, you know, would his ego allow him to continue, or would it be more likely that he just finds whatever excuse he can and bails out? I think there's a 50-50 chance that he's not around as a candidate come, I don't know, the second or third primary, maybe even before that. 855-616-1620, what do you think? Interesting piece in The Hill today that suggests, hey, you know, I know Donald Trump said he's running for president, but don't be surprised if he doesn't make it to the primaries. Major donors aren't giving a dime. His support continues to drop, and there, there's and there doesn't appear to be this vision for the future. And you know, how do you end up turning that around? And will Donald Trump just will, will he go and lose the New Hampshire primary? Will he lose the Iowa caucuses? Or at some point in time, do you try to find a graceful way out? Let's talk to John on the north side. John, good afternoon. Hey, good afternoon, Jeff. Look, glad to have you back from vacation. Thank you. <laughs> Look, that that man would never, ever, ever give up. I mean, <laughs> because, you see, he's not running. He's not trying to win this to be a, the president of the United States with the wonderful job. He wants. He's running for everything except that. You know, he's running for this and running for that. I don't think he's going to, you know, going to get it, but his ego is not going to allow him to... Uh, I mean, you're going to have to knock him down and keep him down. And, okay, well, and that, nobody pays any but, money. But let's talk that. Let's talk about that, that that ego thing, John. Let's say that it's it's a year from now, and he's having trouble raising money, and already that that's kind of dropped off. His numbers in the polls continue to go down. You look at this, and there there doesn't appear to be any realistic way you win. From an ego perspective, do you find do you try to find a graceful way out, or do you crash and burn? He's going to crash and burn. He's going to crash and burn. That's Trump. You know, that's him. Okay. You know I, I mean, I mean, I'm a Democrat, but I like Republicans. I mean, uh, I just got him. Yeah. I mean, he's had his chance. He's had, he's had his chance, you know. I understand. No, thanks. No, I, I get it. And somebody said, Jeff, you're just you're a never Trumper. Well, I, I freely admit, and. I'm my my plan is to be doing this radio show through the next election, and I, I freely admit I am a never again Trumper. So that there's no there, there's no question about that because I just think he's been an incredible drag on the ticket. If Republicans want to win in 2024, what they need to do is you need to move on. He's going to be 78 years old. I think that is too old. I I would rather have a 46 year old Ron DeSantis or you know Tim Scott or somebody like that. It, it's time to start looking to the future. I think Donald Trump. Trump is fatally flawed, and, and yes, I, I think I think the ego is out there. But I guess the question is, the ego cuts both ways. And if it becomes apparent 
that you, you cannot recreate the magic that you had in 2016. At some point in time, do you do it in 2024? And I, I will tell you that announcement, it was, it was almost tough to watch. You really, I kept thinking of King Lear with the old guy just, you know, screaming in the, screaming in the, um, in the storm. I just, and I think it's going to be more pronounced as time goes on. We'll see. We'll see, but don't be surprised if he doesn't make it to the primaries. We've got a lot of stuff coming up in the third hour of the program. Don't go anywhere. This is Jeff Wagner. Live from the Annex Wealth Management Studios at the Avenue, it's the Jeff Wagner Show. Now, here's WTMJ's Jeff Wagner. Good afternoon, Wisconsin. Welcome back to the show. For this next segment, I want you to be completely honest. Not that I never want you, not that I don't always expect people to be completely honest, but this topic to work, I I will be honest and I want you to be as well. Um, From a financial perspective, for for most of us, 2022 has been a a very difficult year. You've got inflation, which is you know, kind of running amok, and whether you you think it's getting better or not does, doesn't matter. You know, the the cost of everything is up. You know, eight percent over a year ago. At the same time, you have the, the stock market, which has taken you know an enormous hit over the course of of the last year. And I understand that you know it'll come back. I, I get all that, but at the same time, if you're somebody who's in retirement or near retirement or whatever, and you're you're looking at those quarterly statements and you see that you've lost X amount of money, it, it's you know attitudinally it it works on you a, as well. So that that's just the economic reality of what this year has been. So I don't know about you, but I'm now kind of at the point of, of looking at the year-end stuff. And this is the time of year when you get the, the charitable requests. And, you know, normally because, you know, you want the tax breaks or whatever, this is the time whenever you go out to your mailbox, um, whether it's email or the old snail mail, you'll go out and you'll find your church is asking for, you know, your annual commitment. You know, you've got a request from a number of different worthwhile charities and things like that. And at the same time, you, you've got the holidays coming up and you've got the holiday gift giving and things like that. And, you know, there's also... Like, for example, in, in, in our situation, I think people know, you know we have a second place in southwest Florida got hit by the hurricane. And even though we were very, very fortunate about some stuff, there's there's special assessments. I'm getting notices that you got to come up with this amount of money because they need to fund this cleanup or that cleanup or, or whatever. So it, it's just I was I was looking the other day and I thought I said to my wife, I said, my, we're, it's it's not like we're anywhere close to the poor house, but it just we're going through this kind of period of time where it just seems like we're kind of hemorrhaging money and it'll be fine. No, no worries worries about that but i i'm i'm looking at that in the context of the demands for charity and the demands for holiday spending and those sort of things and i, I was thinking about that as i stumbled across this story in the wall street journal the other day here's the headline stressed out americans plan to buy fewer christmas gifts donate less to charity Inflation is souring the holiday season, a crucial time when companies, charities, and nonprofits typically collect their biggest haul of the year. Here's how the story starts. Households, retailers, and charities nationwide feeling the pinch of inflation are bracing for a humbug holiday season. U.S. consumers and businesses have trimmed spending plans for gifts, charitable contributions, and holiday events data show. The penny-pinching threatens to spoil the year-end for many, especially firms and nonprofits that tally their largest share of sales and donations in November and December. 
We're uh, hopeful for a strong giving season, says the chief executive of Direct Relief, a medical assistance nonprofit that takes in around $2 billion a year in donated medicine, supplies, and cash to deliver help around the world. But we're just, you know, doubtful of this. Our number is 855-616-1620. That is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Here is my question. As you look at the holiday season, charitable giving, spending on gifts or whatever, how are you approaching this? I I will be honest. I've kind of made this decision that I'm going to do everything we possibly can and to try to maintain our, our giving level at the level, whether it's charitable deductions or spending on gifts or whatever, at the rate we had last year. I mean, so if you gave X amount of dollars to the church, I'm not cutting that back. It's getting that. But I am just at the same time, I'm saying, well, gee, normally if I might increase stuff like 10 percent or whatever, I'm not sure that that's going to happen. So, I, I mean, I'm making a point of trying to maintain the status quo from this year to last year. But that's even that's a bit of a of a challenge. Our number is 855-616-1620. That's a WTMJ talk and text line. All right, let's have an honest conversation. It's been a tough year economically for almost everybody. As you approach year-end contributions to charity, Christmas presents, whatever, are you going to be cutting back this year? Are you going to be trying to maintain the status quo? Or do you think, well, gee, I mean, I, I support this institution and, you know, they're they're dealing with inflation as well. So I'm going to try to increase my donations 10 percent. How are you handling this year when it comes to your charitable giving, your holiday gifts, etc.? For me, I, I think my, my plan is I think I'm going to be able to do this. It, it's to kind of maintain the status quo. But if. If in years past I would have said, okay, I'm going to give 10% more or 15% more, I just don't think that's happening this year. What are you doing? 855-616-1620. Be honest. We discuss in a moment. Welcome back. Nice to hear Bruce and Gene. They, they just do such a wonderful job, such nice people as well. 855-616-1620. That's a WTMJ talk and text line. There's a piece in the Wall Street Journal either today or on Saturday that really hit home with me because it it's talking about how – Given what's been going on in the economy, the the drastic drop in stock values, inflation, all these different factors, and the question is, how does this impact on people this holiday giving season? And I, I've actually been wrestling with that as, as well because we've had a whole bunch of these unexpected expenses, and my decision was kind of, well, I'm gonna do, we're, we're going to maintain – our our giving levels from last year. I'm not cutting back on charitable donations, but at the same time, I, I just I, I don't see being able to to spend more on presents. I don't see it to be reasonable to to spend more on on giving. Um, how how are you handling this? And the the story in the Wall Street Journal implies that lots and lots of people, because of all the different factors that are out there, a couple I've talked about and others, that it's, it's going to be a tough year maybe for charities and for gift giving. 855-616-1620. Jeff, our charitable giving will remain the same. For our Christmas giving to our family, it's going to be less. We're retired and not all of our children or grandchildren are going to be working. Jeff, my husband and I are going to maintain what we are giving during the holidays, but we aren't increasing the amount or adding any new charities. Wish we could, but not this year. Jeff, ironically, I've been pondering this exact same thing. Was planning on retiring in two years. This is no longer possible after 30% losses. I'm near 60. Time is not on my side any longer. I have to cut giving in half. Funds no longer support my prior levels. Also, I'm cutting those who receive our donations in half. It's sad. 
Um, Jeff, our family has always sat down at the beginning of Advent, and we set the dollar amount. We give the kids the option of where they would like to put the donations towards. We will keep that amount the same this year. All right, let's talk to Eileen in Greenfield. Eileen, you're on WTMJ. Hi, good afternoon. How are you? I am well, thank you. How are you handling this? Um, Financially, it's pretty much crushing a lot of people, but... Because I don't have extra money to give, I'm donating my time and I'm volunteering, you know, in places where they need an extra set of hands Mm -hmm. or they need somebody to sit and listen and and talk to somebody or read a book to little kids or something. So you don't have to have money in order to quell your your holiday experiences. Right. No, absolutely. So that's the way you're kind of adjusting to this. It's I'm going to be donating more of my time this year. Absolutely. No, I think that's outstanding. Absolutely. Thanks for the call, Eileen. 855-616-1620. Jeff, instead of buying gifts, I'm donating to the Milwaukee Rescue Mission. I'm cutting back on frivolous buying and gifts. Let's talk to Sandy in Stevens Point. Hi, Sandy. You're on WTMJ. Hi, Jeff. How you doing? I am well, thank you. Okay, how are you handling this this year? Well, what I've been doing for the past few years is I have decreased my spending within the family and increased my charitable um, contributions. I adopt a family each year, and I get the sizes, the ages of the kids, and uh, get them a, buy them a, a complete meal and also gifts for the kids within the family. It's a lot more fulfilling doing uh, the charitable end of it than walking in circles in a store trying to figure out what to get somebody within the family because you don't know what to buy them because they have everything. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, that's it. I, I am impossible to buy for because you're exactly right. I, 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 if, if there's something I really want, I go out and get it for myself, you know, and, and I, I appreciate the sentiments, well, that, but it's right? tough. Yeah, yeah. Well, so. and it's like I said, I mean, I can buy for a family of five, um, and have it done within an hour and a half because they need everything. So it's easy, easy to buy for them. And it's so, it, it's just so much more rewarding and fulfilling during the Christmas season to know that you're giving to people that really, really need it. Yeah. Thank, thanks for the call, Sandy. I appreciate it. Um, here's a text. Jeff, my church donations have had to go down 30%. And when it comes to gifts for my adult son and daughter for Christmas, there will be none for their birthdays. And for their birthdays, which were October 24th and December 24th, there will also be no gifts. Um, you know, that's, that's, that's tough. But I, I think, you know, people are, are kind of making those sort of adjustments. Um, the story I'm looking at, the Wall Street Journal, uh, let's say it's um, uh, Delat, um, which is a consulting firm. They do their 37th annual holiday shopping survey, um, total anticipated spending was down per household about $1,455, down from $1,463 a year ago. So it's flat. It's flat. Um, But also they said people plan to buy an average of nine gifts this year compared with 16 last year. So, I mean, people are are making these cutbacks, um, and I think that's just kind of the reality. Jeff, I'm cutting back on contributing to certain organizations, um, I've always given to St. Jude's because I believe my donation goes to the children. Um, and then, but it's a couple other charities that he's cutting back for. I, I think there's, I think there's going to be more people that are going to be prioritizing that stuff. And maybe, 
you know, maybe in the past you'd throw 50 or 100 bucks towards a charity that, you know, does worth good worthwhile work, but it's not one that you're necessarily invested in. But it's maybe you're going to cut back that. Uh, let's talk to Guy in Brookfield. Guy, you're on WTMJ. Hello. Yes, thank you. Uh, you know what? I put my uh, four kids through college, paid for all of them, and then uh, my wife and I are, are, are retired, and uh, things are getting a little bit tight for us. And uh, I just want to tell you this. Uh, it's it's kind of funny. I'm, I'm just in the opposite thing of this. Uh, my kids are going to get less this Christmas, mm-hmm. and I'm going to give more to the charity I want to give. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Does that make sense? No, it makes a lot of sense. It, 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 it makes a lot of sense. I mean, I think it's, it's one of these deals of you're prioritizing stuff and you're saying, okay, I've done all this stuff yeah. for my kids and do they need another sweatshirt or whatever? I, I'd rather send that $50 and instead of buying Tommy Bahamas, I'd rather spend that 50 or $75 and send it off to yeah. charity X, Y, or Z. No, it makes perfect sense. It's kind of funny. I, I told them, you're, you're only getting this, you know, for Christmas. It's no big deal, but they're all <laughs> successful. And I hope they learn from me and do the same thing. And thank you very much. You had a great show. Thank you for listening, Guy, and thanks for participating. Yeah, that I just think I think one of the things that you are going to see is that more and more people are going to be prioritizing stuff for for, for this year. And and maybe that that's going to change. And maybe hopefully the economy turns around. I have somebody texting me say, oh, the economy's not bad. You know, (laughs) Okay, well, I'm. I'll, you know, look at your 401k statement. And if you can say that, that's, that's great. Go with God. But for most of us, I, I think, you know, you've seen at least a huge paper loss. The closer you get to retirement, the more significant that becomes. You see inflation that's through the, the roof. And, um, I'm sorry, you just can't ignore those economic realities. I, I just hope that people are able to, I, I think it's going to be, I think it's been a tough year for a lot of people with expenses and having to make choices. I think it's going to be, you know, a tough holiday season when it comes to giving, because I think a lot of people are going to have to make priorities out there and say, okay, we just, we, you know, the, we, we just only have X amount of money. And, and I hope, I mean, I hope the charities don't take too big a hit, but if you haven't had this conversation, at least out loud, my guess is you are going to be having the conversation sometime soon. Back with more in just a minute. This is Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. Jeff, we are retired, and our four kids are all grown up and working. However, our grocery costs for my wife and I look like they did when our four kids were home. We're hoping to maintain the same charitable donations and going slightly less on Christmas spending, although it is going to be tough. Well, I think there's that element. Uh, Let's see. Um, uh, Jeff, my my three adult children and my wife and myself have decided not to give each other gifts this year, but instead adopt a family through an organization up here in the Fox Valley. Everybody is donating 75 to 100 bucks towards the cause, and we're adopting a family of four to help provide for them for Christmas. Well, I think, you know, I think people are going to be looking at creative ways to approach that. Jeff, gifts are and giving are a choice that have no set amounts. I do not give to charities that remind me what I gave last year. Well, I, I guess... That wasn't necessarily my point. I'm not sure I give to charities that remind me of that, but I'm, I'm mindful of that. And I mind, if let, let's say you have a, a charity 
that you really liked and you gave $1,000 to last year and you really support the charity and you gave 1000 bucks. well, just like, you know, your costs have gone up, just like your, you know, if you go out and buy groceries or whatever, that, that $1,000 costs you 1000 uh, 1100 bucks an hour or whatever, you know, the, the charity is going through that same thing. So, I mean, I guess I, I would... You know, under normal circumstances, I'd be in a situation where, gee, I'm going to, if I can afford it, I'm going to try to increase my giving. But at the same time, you've got to realize that the financial reality that's out there, that's why I think for people who, you know, these charities that, you know, expect growth and growth and growth, that this is going to be a year where, just like for everybody else, there's going to be a degree of belt tightening. Hey, I can't go wrong with Elvis. All right. First of all, important stuff. I was out last week, so I didn't have a chance to talk about this as much as it should be discussed. Uh, one week from tonight is our annual holiday radio show. If you have attended before, you know what a fun event it is. I have not seen the script, although I, I'm told that this year I have a significant part in it. Now, what that means, who knows? Um, but it's called a WTMJ Christmas story. Matter of fact, we're doing the table reading tonight, so we get an idea of what this is. The show is going to be next Monday night, November 28th. Um, it is going to be in the Grand Ballroom at the Fister Hotel. So it's very, very cool. Tickets are, are on sale now, 30 bucks. of each ticket is donated to Capco's Kids to Kids Christmas on top of that. And I know sometimes people are like, well, I don't want to come to downtown Milwaukee. Included in the price of your ticket is valet parking. And I understand that that's that's always a concern. You do not have to worry about parking, valet parking included in your ticket. So you don't have to worry about finding a parking lot and leaving your car. Valet parking is included. That, to me, is a huge selling point. So let me kind of just read the liner here. The WTMJ Holiday Radio Show is back. And if you've attended in the past, you know how cool that is. And, by the way, I always look forward to my chance to say hi to you and Merry Christmas every year. Um, my wife and I will be there, and we tend to kind of try to come out before the show and just shake hands and all that. Join your favorite WTMJ hosts, hopefully including me, and personalities as well as some special guests in the Grand Ballroom at the Fister Hotel on Monday, November 28th for a, a WTMJ Christmas tale. Like I say, tickets are on sale now. This is my first chance to tell you about it. Go to our website, WTMJ.com, to purchase the tickets. Ticket sales benefit Capco's Kids to Kids Christmas Toy Drive. It's the WTMJ Holiday Radio Show presented by Capco Metal Stamping, Drake & Associates, Dave Drake Camp Heating, and Gruber Law Offices. It's one week from tonight and included in the cost of your ticket is valet parking so you don't have to worry about uh, again parking the fister grand ballroom this is the first year we've done it there and i think it's going to be it's just i think it's going to be an outstanding venue so get your tickets it's 30 bucks if you have been there in the past you know it's just really a fun evening and i know that there's people who come down year after year after year and i really look forward to it so um, i'll tell you about it a couple more times this week tickets are on sale now Okay, let's take a tell you what. No, no, let's just go let's go right into this. The um we were in Las Vegas a few weeks ago and I was telling the story about how we went to the Van Morrison concert, you know, Moon Dance and um things like that, you know, um just and I was incredibly disappointed because the show was really really good. It was ex- it was an expensive ticket, but that's okay. And you know, I'd figure I'm probably never going to have a chance to see Van Morrison again. And it was and the band was really good, and he was really good. 
Um, my, my beef was that a lot of his most famous songs he, he did not play. And I, I, I guess that, that sort of bothers me. I think that, you know, when you go to see this performer that's got this huge song book, um, you got to play some of the hits. And he played very, very few of the hits. But the thing I, I noticed, and it's something that I had not seen before, is he did not do an encore. He played an hour 15, an hour 20 minutes, and then kind of just introduced the band. And in the middle of their final song, he just walks off the stage. The band plays for another two or three minutes. The show ends. The light comes up. That's it. And, you know, there's everybody looking around going, well, he didn't play Moondance. He didn't play this. He didn't play Gloria. He didn't play that. But also it's like, is, is there going to be an encore or not? And he, and he didn't do an encore, which I, I thought was kind of the first time I went through this story today in the Wall Street and the Wall Street, the Washington Post. They had a category of pop culture. Has the encore left the building? Once a given in live concerts, the encore is now seen by some as an artifact of old school showbiz rather than an authentic exchange between performer and the audience. Um, ah, can't you just hear it? The crowd, hundreds or thousands strong, waiting, no needing to hear at least one more song. Their chant energizing the room, desperate to keep the night going just a little bit longer or to stave off silence another few minutes. That's rarely how it actually goes anymore. If a band walks off stage these years, these days, they may stay there. Some bands have grown weary, not of the love of an encore elicits, but of the charade that came to define the tease. As the encore disappears, so does that awkward period of time when audience members calculate if they should grab one last beer or head to the bathroom, or if sated in every sense, consider getting a jump on traffic and leaving. There is increasing evidence that the encore itself has already left the building. Our number, 855-616-1620. That is the WTMJ talk and text line. All right, I want to think, I want to ask you to think about your concert going experience. And the, the story goes on to talk about all these bands who are just refusing to play encores now, um, including some prominent bands. They're saying, look, this is, I mean, the idea behind the encore was, you, you know, you, you come out because, you know, we'll, we'll give you a little bit more because the fans are, are really revved up. That's not true anymore. You know, we do our set list. We play our sets. We leave. There's no reason to come back. And more and more bands are doing that. So my question to you is, if you, like me, go to one of those concerts, band you want to see, a performer you want to see, and, you know, they, they do their show. The show comes, comes to a conclusion. They walk off the stage. They say thanks. Are you disappointed if they don't come back and give you one or two or three more songs? Like I say, I think I think this concert I went to a couple weeks ago in Las Vegas, I think it was the first time that the band, the performer, did not, it, for, a, for a big production, you know, didn't come back and, and do an encore. And I confess, I was a little bit disappointed. 855-616-1620, that's a WTMJ talk and text line. This is apparently, though, the wave of the future. You know, will you feel a little bit cheated if you don't get that encore? Has the encore left the building? This is Finn's, which is Jimmy Buffett. That tends to be one of his encore songs, that along with Margaritaville. But just absolutely love Finn's. People wait the whole show, and, you know, if he doesn't play Finn's, 
Well, people get upset about it. So typically, this has been the encore show over the last year or two. They kind of played it a little bit earlier, which I've never quite understood. But it's kind of you know they they play the songs, they take a break, they come back, they play Finns, they play Margaritaville, and then they go off, and everybody is happy. But more and more bands are deciding that they're they're just not going to do encores. And I'm telling a story about how. We saw Van Morrison a few weeks ago in Las Vegas, and he played about an hour and 15 minutes and then just walked off the stage. Thanks. And then everybody's expecting him to come back. Nope, it did not come back at all. Somebody said he played an hour and 15 minutes and no encore. How much did the tickets cost? And my response was, just just don't ask. Jeff, do you know if Elton John did an encore last night at Dodger Stadium in his reportedly last live concert? What's well, the last live concert in North America is what he says. And, yeah, my understanding, he his his. His final song is Goodbye Yellow Brick Road, and I, I, I haven't seen the concert yet. It, it live-streamed on Disney+, Plus, and my guess is it, it's recorded, and you can watch it there. But, yeah, Elton John Elton John still plays, um, plays that. Jeff, I think the encore lets the fans know that the band appreciates them. Um, he spent a lot – people spent a lot of money going to these shows, and the cheering from the crowd appreciates the band's performance. I think the encore lets the fans know that the band appreciates them. Encores complete the event. I could not agree more. Jeff, if the artist or band plays all their hits right up to the end, then there's no need for an encore, and everybody can go home. Well, I, you know, I, I just I think there is kind of an expectation. Jeff, if the headliner played 90 plus minutes and hit all the big songs, you'd expect him to hit in a set. Then no. But if one or two of their biggest hits haven't been played, then I expect them to come out for an encore. And that's actually what happened at the Van Morrison concert. There were there were a number of the, the songs that you would have expected to go to a Van Morrison concert to hear. And, and he didn't play any of them. And I kept thinking, okay, well, it, okay, that, that's fine. He's going to come out. He's going to play Brown Eyed Girl during the encore. He's going to play Greetings from New York City. He's going to play Moon Dance. He's going to play Gloria, or at least a couple of those. And there was none of them. Um, yeah, that's, that's it. Jeff, I know I felt cheated one time when I saw Elton John. He started a bit later than scheduled, did not come back for any additional charge. Jeff, I definitely feel cheated if I did not get an encore. Jeff, we forget that a lot of these classic acts are really old men and old women in their 70s and 80s. Maybe they can't pull off a good encore. Saw the Rolling Stones a few years ago, and I was ready to go home at the end. Well, I, well, then you, I don't know, then, then you just kind of time out the, the set list. So maybe uh you save whatever your Rolling Stone encore show is, you know, encore song is going to be, and you, 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 you go into it after you know an hour and ten minutes. But I don't, I don't buy that. I just, I just think it's kind of rude, Jeff. If the Stones and Paul McCartney can do encores, so can other bands. That is just my opinion. Well, that would be my opinion as as well. Jeff, the encore is usually for some of their best songs. I will admit that I use an encore as my way to get out before everyone, especially if I'm at one of those outdoor festivals. So I would be disappointed if there was no encore in order to get out faster. Well, I do understand that there's, you know, somebody, some people who, who just decide, okay, I, I want to get the head start on parking. And I, I get it. It all depends on where you are. But I, I just admit, having gone through this with Van Morrison, I felt just disappointed. I, it was like I felt there was something lacking. And now if this is more and more of the trend, I, I think, you know, do you have to perform an encore? No. I mean, you know, that it's buyer beware. Jeff, John Fogarty of CCR, um, who I'm a huge fan of John Fogarty, stopped doing encores in the late 60s and early 70s. Fans hated it. 
No other bands followed um, the lead. Jeff, encores are totally lame nowadays, scripted for sure. I've been to a 1,000 concerts. I'm 55 years old. I just want a group to play 90 to 100 minutes and be done. Huh. I don't know. I, I, I guess if it's a good show, I want more. Jeff, I sure hope Taylor Swift gives an encore. Um, yeah, well, that's, we're going to be talking about Taylor Swift and the whole Ticketmaster thing, I think, tomorrow. Um, Jeff, my thought was that the encore was showing that they're happy with the audience, the good energy that was generated by their fans. Therefore, they want to keep it going as a thank you. Maybe that's not the case nowadays. Um, I don't know. Jeff, every concert I've seen lately has had encores. The Killers concert in Chicago this past September had the best encore that I have ever seen um yeah i think that there's an an element to that as well so anyhow i just i bring this up because that's the encore has been such a part of the the concert going experience that there's this sort of expectation that that's there and now if if this is going to go away that's fine and you know that that's fine but i think we as fans then just have to adjust to the experience. Hey, as long as we're talking about the world of entertainment, one one quick segue before I turn it over to uh, Greg Matzik in Wisconsin's Afternoon News. A big story today from the world of kind of like entertainment and business, and that is that um, the, the guy who was the CEO of of Disney, um, his name is Bob Chapek, he's, he's gone. He, he's been let go. He was the hand-picked successor to Robert Iger, who ran Disney for like 15 years and then you know, turned over the company to him, to, to Chappick, two years ago. And Chappick has been a complete and total disaster. So the breaking story is, first of all, the board of directors has dumped Chappick. Secondly, they've convinced Bob Iger, who was really the, the CEO who ran Disney during a, a lot of the big growth years, they've convinced him to come back at the age of, I think, 71 for, for at least a, a two-year deal. You know, what did Chappick do that caused such problems? Well, th- this is one of these categories of, you know, go woke, go broke. You know, Chappick got in the middle of a fight with Ron DeSantis in Florida. Remember, they decided for whatever reasons Disney was going to get involved and take issues with the, the Florida legislature and the Florida law that said, you know, we're not going to teach gender identity to grade school children and things like that. And and for whatever reason, Disney decided to get involved in that and oppose it. And the Florida legislature then changed the the tax status for for Disney, presumably in retaliation. But the the board was not thrilled, you know, with that. On top of it, Chappick came in, fired Disney's top television executives. Hollywood liked all these people, um, and so. And then the numbers just went down. So the guy, in the space of two years, took this incredibly successful company and now, you know, had it really on its heels. Now it's Disney. Um, on top of that, you know, they've raised all these prices at the theme parks. The lines are a lot longer, and a lot of hardcore fans are responding in a negative fashion. So the, the board of directors was looking at this and just made this decision that, look, we, we just can't continue going this route. So Chappick is out. Bob Iger is back, and Disney stock is soaring. Will he be enough to turn it around? Well, time will tell.